Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Video Games Now podcast. It's Rodney, joined by Will. Hey, I'm back. Yes, you uh, were under the weather for quite some time. Blame work. <laughs> it's all about work. Uh, speaking of work, we got a cool-ass dude here today named Curtis. He's the quality assurance manager at Kabam Games. And uh, Mr. Curtis, hello. I'm good, thanks. How's it going? It's actually Kabam Games. Oh, oh silly of me. Kabam. 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 All right, I, I will probably butcher that about another 12 times in the whole podcast, so it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a good time. We always tell people just think of a bomb going off. Bam, like a wily coyote, like bomb or something. Yeah. Yeah. At least you won't bit, uh, butcher the name as bad as you do Japanese. Yeah, I can't say Japanese people's names to save my life, so it, it'll be uh, it'll be much easier than that for sure. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, Curtis's job as a quality assurance manager, some of the uh, things he does, and we'll talk about some of the games he's worked on, and he'll he'll tell some stories. It'll be it'll be a good podcast here. So. Here we go. All that coming up right now. Right now. All right. So working at Kabam Games, Kabam. Sorry, Kabam Games. It seems to be a good time. I was checking out some pictures online, and the uh, the office actually looks really cool. And they have a craft service there. We do. We got a candy walls. We got beer on tap. Um, what? You have beer on tap, dude. We do. Uh, we just put in a kombucha tap and a cold brew as well. As it. Well, we're in the wrong business for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we're in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a crafty, but there's nothing like that. They don't have like a f- like open bar beer on tap. They have like, if you're lucky, some brownies. So. And your lunch can sometimes kill you. Yeah, Will Will got food poisoning. I think uh, was it last week. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so don't t- uh, trust the ginger beef. Yeah, gin- ginger beef's a no go. <laughs> no go. All right. So uh, so hey, Curtis, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your role at Kabam Games? Sure. Um, so I've been working in the video game industry for about ten years. Um, I've been in the QA side of games that entire time worked at a few different studios, some big companies like EA Games here in Vancouver, 
Bioware and Edmonton, Microsoft, Radical Entertainment, and then I've spent the last five years at Kabam as the QA manager. Very nice, very nice. And um, so for those of you who are listening to this podcast who don't know what QA is, you should not be listening to this podcast because you're not a gamer. So uh, yeah, you should just, just Google that right now. Just Google it. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, all right, so um, so Kabam, Kabam, Kabam Games <laughs> mainly works on mobile. So uh, how how is that working on mobile games versus console and PC? Um, it's it's a lot different. I I kind of was a little hesitant when I made the switch over, uh, mostly because I'd never heard of Kabam Games before. But um, it's what's Kab- really nice is most kind of AAA games you're working on a project for two to maybe even five years. And then it's you ship it, it's out the door, you walk away, you take some time to reflect and then move into the next project. Uh, where mobile, your game is live and you're constantly supporting it. So every month you're putting out a new release that's just putting in new content for people to play. So you're just constantly moving. There's really no slowing down. So if you need to make any major changes, you kind of have to do it on the fly. Learn to like adapt and get it done. Nice. Um, I I, th- I feel like the console market's doing that now too. They just kind of release a live game, and they're like, "Hey, let's just fix all the problems now." Yeah, you see a lot of studios doing that kind of game as a service, which kind of has a bad. It's a yeah, it leaves a bad taste in gamers' mouths for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people frown on it. Yeah. So, uh, just before we came on the air, we were talking about Anthem, and uh, we 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 share some similar issues with that game. Yeah, it's it's a it's a frustrating game to play sometimes. I, I really enjoy the being in a javelin, flying around, blowing stuff up with my friends, and then our joke is the the actual real boss of that game is having to go back to Fort Tarsus and slowly float around talking to people for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Will, have you actually played the game yet? I have not. I bought it. Uh, it's just been sitting in on the console. That's nope. about it. It, I mean, it's not helping you that we're like shitting all over the game. Uh, I'll play it sooner or later, right? It, I, it can't be any ba- worse than Destiny for me. Yeah, you're right. Can it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, they got more stuff to do with Destiny right now than I think Anthem. Yeah, yeah, that's but true. they've had longer time to uh, keep Destiny going. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, tr- I trust Bioware. They're usually pretty good with content. I don't know. Yeah, they, they I can't, they kind of missed the ball on this one for sure. Uh, we're kind of talking about Anthem again, but I mean, they don't have multiplayer. They don't have, um, I don't know, they're just, they're just missing a lot. They're missing a lot. That's that all stuff, though, they said that's going to be coming to the game after launch. Yeah, I know, but again, you're kind of re- releasing a game that's not ready then. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's pretty well the same as the beta, in a way, other than you start at level 1 instead of level 10. Yeah, and I think by the time they even have some content, like the Division 2's coming out next week, if you like those looter shooters, and their roadmap looks a lot more impressive right now. Nice. Um, so, Curtis, can you just kind of fill us in on the, how, like, kind of the steps involved with developing a video game? Sure, yeah, yeah. It's uh, pretty similar to, I guess, making a movie, but um, all games start as someone's idea, a pitch. So, um, you know, using something like Bioware as an example, you'd want to go in there um, and kind of come with an idea. You, you want to do something like a new IP, it's going to be a lot harder because you got to convince somebody that this new thing that nobody's seen before is going to be just as good as a sequel to Dragon Age or Mass Effect. Um, and usually your t- studio is going to give you the resources to put together a pretty small team. 
think it's like a few designers, a couple engineers, some production folks, and you're going to work on what is generally called a vertical slice. And vertical slice is going to showcase all the key mechanics elements that is going to make your game better than any other game that's going to ship in the same year. Once you have that and it's polished, it's a nice little piece of everything you want to show off. You show that to the executives at your studio and they'll give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Interesting. So it's like a pilot for a television show. Yeah, yeah, okay. very much. It's yeah. it's like if you're gonna use like Uncharted, for example, you, your vertical slice would have like a big action scene. It have some platforming, some combat, and maybe like a cutscene to show like how people talk. And be like, this is what we want to sell. Um, okay. But even if it's kind of the, you get the thumbs down, it's not necessarily bad. Uh, you usually just get a lot of notes, like you were in a pilot, to make some changes, add. You know, oh hey, this game's similar to Skyrim, so you should have some dragons in there as well. Even if you didn't plan to have dragons, but if right. that's what it takes to get the game made, then usually you kind of go down that route. Um, once it is approved, you go into full production. Your team will ramp up to anywhere to about 100 to 600 people, depending on the size. And you spend the next couple of years aggressively building a video game, trying to get it done on time. Right. What well, what's the stand What's the standard um, development uh, cycle? Um, it can kind of change. Like in the games I've worked on, uh, like big console games, you're usually about two to five years, depending on the size. Um, but then if you look at like some of the sports titles, like FIFA, NHL, they pump out a new one like in about nine months. But there's not a lot of major updates to those. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they just use the same general engine, and they just kind of update uh, and you know update a couple things here and there. Yeah, if you work in video games in Vancouver, chances are you've worked on a FIFA at least one point in your career and yeah, you're, you're just updating kits, making sure all the ads are correct place things in the stadiums making sure the grass is green <laughs> and moving on to the next one <laughs> Someone's getting fired because the grass is not green today Change colors Yeah <laughs> You'd be surprised, some like people own the rights to those stadiums, so they'll see the air like ooh, that adds a, like, a foot off or we don't have the color seats like that in that section. You got to change it all to like match this, or else you can't use that yeah. asset in the game. Wow, it has yeah. to be very realistic. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's another whole level of <laughs> um, micromanaging that I don't think I would want to ever get into. Like on on a film set, basically, you know, you listen to the director, and he's this is what he wants, and that's kind of all. He, he's kind of like the the ultimate leader of everything. But I can imagine in a game like FIFA, you have obviously I'm sure the director in the game in, in, on the game is giving you uh, feedback, plus engineers and all that, plus the people who own the rights to whatever you're working on are also giving you critiques like that. So you're getting it from different angles. Yeah, I, I currently work on a Marvel game at Kabam, and every character we create, every piece of dialogue for any quest has to go through them, and it's. It can be very silly at times, the the notes you get back from people like, oh, can you maybe make that ass not look so tight? Or can they not have a giant sword? Could they have a smaller sword? Can I don't think Captain America would say this kind of dialogue. This doesn't line up with how he talks in the movies, so we need you to change it to something like this. Right. Interesting. All right, so uh, uh, once we're in full production then... Uh, kind of when you're coming to the when you're coming to the end I guess like kind of into the alpha stage uh, it's not mm-hmm. really the end but I mean that's tail end of the full production cycle I'd imagine um, yeah alpha usually means you're, you're what they call feature complete so every 
every game mechanic that's going to be in your game is done. So you're not going to go back and suddenly rechange how driving works or combat. Like it's everything's now set in stone, and you're mostly just doing like tuning, polishing, making sure all the buildings look nice, character animations are good, and just kind of fine tuning everything. Nice. Uh, is there anything between, like, obviously there was the vertical slice you were talking about earlier. So, is there anything in between that and the alpha that would, um, is kind of like a stage in pro- in production? Um, not like a major stage. Like, you're gonna have kind of gates or like a milestones, and they can be anywhere from a couple to, from like vertical slice to alpha, up to twenty. But each of those gates are gonna be kind of a gut check to make sure you're projects on track if there are things that are kind of taking too long it's a big thing with video games is you can never really foresee problems that could happen um i always describe it as like the the springfield tire fire it's always going to be burning it's just a matter of how big the flames are today and you know if you have to do something you know sometimes you'll read that uh, a project has to switch their game engine and anytime i read that i I know that's just a huge nightmare for a game team because you're basically taking every tool they've been using for months and just basically saying, nope, this won't work anymore. You got to rebuild most of this in the new engine and you got to stay on track. Yeah, that's rough. Mm. That's rough. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious right now because uh, we were actually talking about Halo 6 in the last cast as well uh, and the new engine, their slip space engine that they're developing. I guess I didn't realize that the the team at Halo, both Bungie and 343, were using the same engine since the first Halo. And then this is mm-hmm. a new, this is the brand new engine that they they promised the uh, development team oh, that they're going to get. Oh yeah, yeah. Some some companies, you know, projects use this is is the longer you can use your game engine, the the easier it is because you'll create a lot of custom tools for your engineer or even designers, and having to rework those tools in a new engine just is it's not worth the cost at the time. Yeah, um, I think even like Apex Legends just came out and it's using a modified version of the Source engine, which was built to make Half Life. Oh, interesting. Go. Interesting. Yeah. Um, is that a very common engine, the Source? Um, source is pretty common. Most studios, though, uh, if you're EA, they have their own engine. They have the Frostbite, so like Anthem was built on that. There's sports titles, Battlefields. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of companies use uh, the Unreal Engine, which is made by Epic. It's a pretty robust set of tools. Uh, they're easy company to work with, so if you have any problems and something's not working, you can actually reach out and they'll help you work on it, and then builds you a new set of tools to use within their engine. Wow. Uh, uh, at Kabam, we use uh, the Unity engine. It's a, mostly for mobile games. It's, it can't really scale up for bigger projects, but you're starting to see more independents, like smaller studios use it for games because it's you can essentially get it for free. And as long as you don't make so much profit once your game launches, you don't have to pay any fees to Unity, which is pretty nice. Nice, yeah. Yeah, that's. I'm just thinking about that I'm, I can't code my way out of a paper bag but uh, yeah so just like I remember in high school they're like hey make a web page and like that was challenging I made it in like notepad or whatever but mm-hmm. uh, so I can't even imagine the amount of coding that goes into anything making a video game yeah your engineering department's probably going to be the, the largest chunk of people because everything that has to go in the game needs some sort of a code so yeah, it's gonna. It, you it, see, having like a hundred bakers all trying to bake the same cake, and they're just everyone's just tweaking each ingredient at the same time, and you're like, I, I hope it comes out okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be super challenging. Oh. oh. When you develop a game, because you said you worked for Bioware as well, um, 
and I'm sure even with P- like mobile, either iOS or Android, how is it determined which uh, system or console would it be going to? Um, well, your console games, both like Sony and Microsoft, want your game on their console. It's going to help to sell hardware, but you're yeah. definitely going to have a, a platform that you're developing primarily for. Um, <clears throat> so you see a lot of games, especially this generation, like the PlayStation will be like their key platform. So all their development will be done using that hardware as kind of the, the spec of how it'll operate. And then they'll start to port things over to Xbox or PC as they're going through development. Okay. Yeah. Now in development, does Sony, Microsoft, you know, Apple or whatnot get involved at all? Um. It, it would depend on the project. Like if it's, a, say, obviously like a first party game like God of War, Sony's probably pretty involved. They're probably looking at the game at every milestone, making sure it's up to what they want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was working on something um, at Radical Entertainment, I was working on Prototype 2 and Activision owned that studio, but they would come by roughly like every quarter just to see how things are going. And that was more just like a studio visit as well. Just come by, see how people are doing, how the project is, meet with the, our leadership team, like our studio, head of studios and all the executive producers. They give them a little demo of what the progress was, maybe get some notes and then they'd be on their way. Cool. Interesting. Uh, I have a quick question, actually, about uh, the dev kit. So, for example, like the, the Xbox Scarlet, for example, that's coming out and no one knows a whole lot about. So they're going to need games to launch it with, so they're going to send dev kits out to the studios. So when you guys get dev kits of consoles that aren't released at, on the market yet, do they, um, from your experience, do they look like the uh, the actual finished product, or are they just like a bunch of circuit boards in like a little glass box? Uh it could be a bit of both. If it's like pretty far out from the release, you're just going to get just hardware. So it'll just be all the parts in a giant black box that weighs 100 pounds for no reason. Um, but <laughs> when I was at Microsoft, we actually started to see the Xbox One, but they had a like a zebra pattern on them for some weird reason. We all thought it was each pattern was different. So if a, a screenshot of the console or controller leaked, they could tell who which studio it came from. Oh. Um, but they were roughly the size of what the Xbox One was when it launched. They just, they didn't perform very well. They overheated really quickly. So if you had anything kind of stacked on top of it, you would, you just kill the console as you're <laughs> testing on it or using it. Oh yeah. Interesting. So let's, uh, so you're the QA manager. So you're obviously managing all the quality assurance people. So uh, what, what does a quality assurance person do? Um, we, me and Will know, but maybe our audience yeah. does not. Uh, yeah, easiest way to explain it is as they, they test video games. So, cool. sounds like the dream job, but um, they come in every day. They'll get kind of the latest build of the game. They'll work with the, you know, they'll be assigned to like a team. So, for example, like the combat team will have their own set of QA people, and they'll just come in every day, talk to the engineers, talk to the designers, and see what's ready, kind of open for testing. Because um, we do work in milestones, so you'll know, okay, this milestone is three weeks long. At the end of that, we need to deliver all the shooting mechanics for the game. So as during those three weeks, they'll just be coming in and just focus just really on the shooting mechanics, writing up bugs, providing feedback. How does things work with other systems in the game? Uh, that's kind of one part of game testing. It's not quite, uh, I guess, known is testers are at the end of the line, the production line. So they're one of the few groups in the company that'll see the entire game as one piece. If you're an engineer focused on gameplay and you have engineers that are focused on, say, the UI for a game, the UI engineers will probably never look at combat or else the entirety of the project. 
So when you're testing just combat, sometimes you got to go talk to the UI team because sometimes there's this pop-up just suddenly appears in front of your face as you're trying to shoot people. You got to go chase it down with a different team because that's actually something they're working on, not the combat team. Interesting. Um, is there a lot of this is in my department? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there can be, but I think it's not so much like done maliciously. It's more just people like, I have no idea what's causing this, so you'll have to go chase it down. But I find the nice thing is there is a lot of, we're all in it together. We all want to get the game shipped on time so we all can continue to make games. Um, it can be, you know, especially at big studios, it can be pretty rough. If your game's not going to ship on time, you have to delay it. You're going to get a lot of pressure from your publishers or Sony or Microsoft coming to your door like every day. Like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So if you need to kind of pitch in and help out another team to get something done, you'll generally find people more than willing to help. So yeah, the QA department is kind of like the 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 entry level position, I imagine. Um, it can, yeah, it is definitely the easiest way to break in. Um, if you've gone to like a game design school or maybe you have like a computer science degree, you can usually break in as like a junior, like an entry level programmer or a designer. There's a few different avenues, but even then, um, you know, I went to a game design school and you needed two years of experience to even get like a junior, like an entry level design position. Right. So I, started on QA like most people do. Okay. So um, I I have this theory. I actually made a video about it on YouTube. But um, So th there seems to be a lot of games getting pumped out on a two-year development cycle. And it's not... It seems like the game has just a ridiculous amount of bugs. Like, it, like kind of embarrassing, honestly, on the, on day one of release. So I f I'm figuring that to, to nail that two-year life cycle, they're basically pushing out the game and then not giving the QA department enough time to kind of go through the game with a fine-tooth comb and kind of find all the little bugs. Is that is that kind of accurate? Uh, yeah, that's about half of it. I I'd say the other half, too, is, <clears throat> you know, we don't get to fix all the bugs. That's just, like, I've never worked on a project where, like, every single bug found was fixed because you only have so much time the production team, they're going to make the call. They're going to prioritize everything. If there's very low reproduced issues or just something that maybe 1% of users will find, they're more than likely to just kind of ship with that and maybe hopefully fix it with a, like a patch or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think some bugs are good. Like, you know, the old games where you they obviously couldn't patch the game because once it was out, it was out. And, you know, they had to re basically redo the whole cartridge. Yeah, um, you know, I like the the finding bugs like that, or even like uh, in in newer games, cool bugs that are like you know out of out of the out of bounds gl uh, glitches and stuff like that. Those are really fun to explore. Yeah, as when I play video games like open world games, I'm always trying to find those ways to break the world. Like, oh, I wonder if I can squeeze through this wall and push myself out, or start to find all those areas. Yeah, um, yeah. For me, that was like Halo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Halo is a, is a great example, actually. Like Halo, Halo Two specifically. I remember the second mission. Well, I think it was a, yeah, it was the second mission where um, outskirts, and my friends like, oh hey, if you jump on this little light uh, fixture, you can get out of bounds. And we're like, what? And then like we spent like days exploring out of bounds uh, for outskirts. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> So, yeah, and it's it was night before the internet too. You had to rely on your friends to be like, "Hey, by the way, you can glitch the game by doing this." And now it's just yeah. like you just type in, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 glitches and there's a freaking whole list of them and how to do them and yada yada yada. So, yeah. Uh okay, so next question we have for you is um do you Oh yeah, I already asked you that. Film so film school, I discovered because I went to film school uh after the interest and interesting and holy shit. 
can't talk today. Film school, after I discovered uh, after entering the film industry, was a complete waste of time and money. Does one really need to go to school to break into the industry? Um, I guess I mentioned earlier, it really depends on the role. There's there's so many different kind of hats you can wear. So if you wanted to be an engineer, you would definitely need some sort of computer science background. Um, design, usually probably a good idea to go to a game design school just to learn some of the basics and kind of the problem solving part of it. But if you want to get into QA or production, you could probably just get an entry level position, just kind of work your way up. Cool. Yeah, I, I I figured that was the case too. So yeah, the f- yeah. So what? Uh, depending on what you want to do, you kind of just have to research. You know what skills you need, I guess. Yeah, like yeah. I, I went to a game school here in Vancouver. Um, it was like a just over a year long program, and it didn't quite help me get a job, but it got me a lot of contacts, and that's how I got my first job. But I, I never ended up getting into. Uh, I wanted to be a level designer originally. I never got into that. I just stuck with QA. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of similar to me. I went to film school, and they taught you how to make your own film, not necessarily what to, how to work on a big show. But um, once that got me contacts, and then I got in, and basically it streamlined my um, my whole career because I was able to move up way quicker because I obviously was smart and figured it all out way quicker than everybody else. And so yeah, that that kind of helped me in a way too. So that's kind of the one thing about film school that was nice. But uh, if you're listening and you're thinking about going to film school to just get into the film industry, it's a complete waste of time and money. Save your thirty grand. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Um, so for uh, the big roles, so say obviously like the director of the game or the general pr- producer or any of those big big games even the like the level design or anything like that how is how what is the route that one needs to take to to break into that um well most people that work in production actually started in qa um it's kind of a a weird trend a lot of the producers i know all were working in like ea qa 20 odd years ago when they first opened that studio um a lot of the level designers design is a pretty broad um, I guess job. There's so many different. Like you can be a level designer. You can design just the economy, RPG stats. So is this kind of where is your level? One of the RPG designers I work with now just grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and writing scenarios all the time, and now he does that for a job in video games. Nice. So it's more just trying to find like what is your, what is your 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 passion? As corny as that sounds, and just kind of sticking to it. You don't want to. Be like, I'll be a designer, and then just try and do as many different design roles as possible, because you'll never really move up. You'll always just be kind of that mid-tier kind of designer. Most of the big game directors now all focus on one type of game, one area, and just really own that, kept doing it, got better and better at it, and now they're game directors. Interesting. So, um, for example, Will and I like to complain about games. Is there a department that hones that skill? <laughs> Uh, probably the community teams because you got to deal with like fans going on the forums so they're kind of the face of all the complaints of everyone who loves to play your game but at the same time spends just as much time crapping on it true yeah so for example if I was on the production team for Anthem and they said hey we have Fort Tarsus and then we have a uh, completely open world completely separate from Fort Tarsus is there a way where I could be like that sounds really stupid you should just do this this and that and it would be way better <laughs> Yeah, you'd probably be like the like one of the producers, um, and probably, yeah, probably a producer because you're gonna have you know the designers be like, oh, we we got this really cool first person mode. You're gonna come in, you can go and talk to people and be just like a Bioware game. 
And then you'll probably have a lead engineer who tells you like, this is not gonna work technically. There's gonna be so many loading screens because you're going from third person to first person. And that world is so detailed, we just can't load it fast enough for you to move at a speed that's not a slow walk. And they're like, producer, what do you wanna do? And they'll have to make the call. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I think working for Nintendo would just be f- super fun. Like they just, everyone who works in Nintendo looks like they just absolutely love their job. Um, yeah. So, uh, have you have you done anything in relation to them with at all or no? Uh, no. That's kind of like the holy grail. There's a couple studios here in Vancouver that do work with Nintendo, but you got to know somebody who's been there for years to even get in the door. It's right. pretty tough. Right. Um, Doug Bowser didn't have to try very hard. He just said, "My name's Doug Bowser," and they're like, "You're fucking yeah. hired." <laughs> That's true. So <laughs> he's got pretty big shoes to fill, though. Reggie's Reggie's a legend. So yeah, for sure. Um, the Muppet Show uh, at E3 was my favorite moment ever of like Miyamoto and um, Anuma and Reggie all as Muppets singing. Oh, I died. Yeah. So funny. If you go to the Nintendo store in New York, uh, they have all those Muppets on display in the cases. Oh, really? It's pretty cool, oh, yeah. I was just in New York. That's, that's disappointing. Shit. Could have saw Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyways. So um, are you? what's your kind of long-term career plan with... Uh, with the game industry, are you hoping to kind of move up, or are you kind of happy where you are? Uh, I'm pretty everywhere. I've I've been the QA manager at Kabam for just about a year, so I'm still having a lot of fun. Still really like the role. It's close enough to still be involved with the games, uh, each of the projects, and work closely with you know, all the producers and team leads, which I really enjoy. So having uh, I do get to sit in those meetings where they make the decision: should we have a Fort Tarsus or not, and give them some feedback on why that could be a good idea or be a really bad idea yeah um so i really like being that involved um i think kind of the next step would be i'd be just the people pressure i'd just be doing paperwork all day which i do spend a lot of time doing now looking at spreadsheets and numbers but just that would be i'd be so disconnected from what the actual projects are doing which i definitely would miss right and um so are you the department head or is there one more above you uh, there is one more above me, the QA director, and yeah, he's he works with um, all the studios. So I work in the Vancouver studio. We have a development studio in Austin that's just starting up, and we also are owned by a Korean gaming company called Netmarble. So he is, I basically am the QA manager for Vancouver, and then we'll have one a QA manager in Austin, and then he also works with Korea if they have any questions or want to see how we do things or there's any kind of tools or tips and tricks we can share with each other right. he travels a lot to go visit these places and so i just he, stay here and make sure vancouver doesn't burn to the ground right so he kind of liaises between all all the different studios make sure kind of the standards kind of up, up kept i guess yeah yeah exactly nice okay uh, that's traveling sounds nice but every time i see him he's pretty tired yeah i, I bet yeah <laughs> jet lagged all the time um awesome so um um, I just asked, I just, Will, you have a question for him, I'm sure, yeah? Yeah, uh, I was going to go more into where his passion for gaming actually began. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just really growing up playing video games. Uh, my dad came home from a business trip with a Nintendo and a copy of Super Mario Brothers 3 and uh, a golf game. I'm trying to think. Jack Nicholas Golden Bear Golf. And I would watch him play golf because I wasn't... he really liked that game and then whatever chance i got to play mario brothers it just kind of took off from there yeah i mean like playing games i mean yeah, that, pretty much my entire life yeah that golf game is a classic yeah yeah no 
Yeah, I was definitely a, like a Nintendo kid, so I, you know, had Nintendo, moved on Super Nintendo, had pretty much every Nintendo console since they started making them. Yeah, same as me, um, same as Rodney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty well. So, awesome. Um, so what's your go-to game right now? Uh, the one I'm playing the most, well, I was playing a lot of Anthem this last couple of weeks, but that waiting for the Division 2, I really like looter shooters right now, really into the, just the multiplayer side of them, so... We'll be picking up the Division 2, but Apex Legends, I've been playing a lot of that, which was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. It's uh it's 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 amazing that it like basically within two weeks it like took over Fortnite. It just like pushed it aside. It's like move aside, yeah. way better. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I feel bad for Anthem after that game came out. They're both published by EA. Anthem was touted for years of being this next big looter shooter, came out kind of disappointing. Nobody even heard of Apex Legends. They launch it, and just everybody loves it. Yeah, um, but I mean, Fortnite was also it, it was building upon its single player, and then it just happened to make a battle royale mode, and it just happened to be fun. So everyone was on board with that. And yeah, yeah, I think with with Anthem, like when, when Will and I played the beta, we were stoked. Like we thought the game yeah. was going to be freaking awesome. And yeah, it, I, I have a ton of fun with that. Like the. the flying around shooting stuff yeah and i mean there's lots of stuff um like we were talking about earlier when you're in suit there's a lot of stuff that just feels so good like the flight the, the controls are they're so fluent and so easy to get and it, like that's that's there's a couple of great things about anthem that are making it a really good game but at the same time there's a lot of stuff that are dragging it down like four tarsus basically yeah. I, I wonder if they're just going to cut that from the game i'm sure everybody's complaining about four tarsus like Actually, that's, yeah, a, that's a big move. Yeah, I was to say, because you still need a place to uh, turn in quests, right? Well, I know, but you have the launch pad, and that's it's also your social hub. So, like, Fortarsis mm. is a complete waste of time. So, yeah. What were you going to say there, Curtis? I, I, I assume, like, once you kind of hit the end game in a lot of those shooters, there's just areas you never go to. Like, Destiny 2 had the farm, and once you finish the story, you never go back to that area. Yeah. That's I'll just true. probably end up putting something that's like a better version of Fort Tarsus. Yeah. Like the, the the launch pad, but with a bit more, maybe some actual people in there, something you could chat to. Yeah, and the other thing I mentioned in the last cast too, which is super annoying, is if you finish a mission, it takes you directly back to Fort Tarsus, but what if you wanted to go to do free play? So now you have to wait till for Fort Tarsus to load, and then you have to turn around, get back in your javelin, wait for the fucking... The, mission screen to load select free play and then wait for a long loading screen to go back and free play so it's like you, they could have just added the option to like hey you're done the mission do you want to just enter free play or return to Fort Tarsus you know what I mean like one simple screen would have just fixed all that yeah yeah I'm we kind of a joke at work where we we'd love to sit on the post boredom every game that launches once it's out the door your entire team will kind of sit down and go over what could we done better you know now right. that we're done right and just there's so many questions i have for them they'll be like why did you decide it to do it this way yeah totally yeah we at the end of the show we just kind of drink and say that show fucking sucked <clears throat> <laughs> and then like we got we got through it so we kind of like bond um over drinks the but, rap party yeah the rap, <laughs> the rap party and then some yeah. people don't remember it because they were so high or drunk or whatever and uh yeah that's basically it and then we start yeah. the next show, and we go, hey, remember that show we just worked on? It was shit. And yeah, and then we just bitch about it. That's kind of and our And then answer. when it gets another season, you just go back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I've been pretty lucky not to work on really any game I didn't like. Um, 
I, there was one project at EA, they had a, a series of fitness games and they had to make one more as like a contractual obligation and I, that was the last game I ever worked on at EA. But the entire team, we spent most of our day honestly just playing NHL. Nice. It wasn't really... <laughs> It was a weird project. It was a fitness game, but they legally couldn't make you do anything that would raise your heart rate. Because if you were out of shape, that could cause you to have a heart attack. So they didn't want people dying while playing this fitness game. So everything was like super low key, just like doing 10 jumping jacks. And that was like your whole, that was it. You won for the day. Come back tomorrow. Let's do 10 more. <laughs> wow. I, I'm shocked they didn't just get you to sign a waiver. Like by signing this, you you certify that you're at least competently <laughs> in shape <laughs> to do ten jumping jacks a day. Oh man, that's funny. <clears throat> Fitness game, and you can't get a heart rate. Oh, that's funny. Um, so uh, yeah, we uh, I've been thinking about possibly jumping over. Like a couple of years ago, I was thinking about jumping over, but <clears throat> I didn't want to play the game. Uh, I didn't want to go into the game industry because right now watching movies is ruined for me. Will can probably agree with this because you'll sit down and watch the movie and we'll, uh, the whole freaking movie, we won't watch what's going on like in the narrative story. We'll say, oh, like the lighting sucks or why the hell or that location would be a nightmare to shoot at or something like that. Like we would just kind of, you know, <clears throat> dissect it and, and, and then at the end of the movie, you're like, what the fuck happened to the movie? Like we didn't watch it. Yeah. So that's kind of the one thing that's stopping me from jumping over into the game industry because I'm afraid that I'll it'll ruin video games for me. So is is that something you find working in the game industry? Uh, it hasn't quite ruined them. I think at times, you know, if I play like a big game like a Red Dead Redemption Two, like there's just moments that game where I just was blown away. Even knowing, kind of seeing like the man behind the curtain, how it's all made. There's stuff they pull off in that game. I I still it clearly took millions of dollars and hundreds of man hours to do and they just nailed it but then there are other times i play games i just shake my head like why why couldn't they have done this a little bit differently mm -hmm. uh, mostly like the first like big party titles anything from say sony red dead redemption obviously so rockstar those games are always good they they i can play those games and not really get pulled into how it was made but playing some of the smaller games or like i play a lot of nhl and I, that game does nothing but frustrate me. I, I don't really know why I keep buying it, but year in, year out, I find the same issues, the same problems. I know people that work on that game. I ask them every year, why can I still, why can't I still do this in the game? Like, oh, we just don't have the time. Yeah, yeah, nine month development period. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, they release NHL 19 in like freaking July or September of 2018 so it's like why don't yeah. you just push it to december and then release it in january that'd be but ideal then look at uh, assassin's creed yeah true yeah i guess yeah they, they... i had to stop playing those Ubis the, the ubisoft open world games i just had to give up on it's just every single one i played was the same it's just now you're the watchdog in chicago now you're an assassin in rome you know i kind of felt that way too um after playing the first two and yeah, so I kind of lost interest. Black Flag kind of reignited my um, passion for Assassin's Creed because it was different. It wasn't just running through freaking buildings. You're you're a goddamn pirate for fuck's sakes. Yeah, the pirate stuff was fun. Listen to the sea uh, was it sea shanties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are great. Yeah, and um, and then obviously Origins. I'm just I'm really into um, the ancient culture. So ancient Egypt's my favorite one. So that game was like Rodney, come play. Ancient Egypt. Yeah, for like, me, fuck. it was Odyssey with uh, Greece. I, I was blown away. Yeah, so they. I mean, they've they've. It is basically the same old like.
climb this, synchronize viewpoint this, whatever the fuck, but, I mean, the overall gameplay experience felt much better than, like, 3 or, um, uh, what, what was the other one, Swill? I can't even remember. Three well, after Black Flag, there was Unity, yeah. and then that other one with, uh, that they went to London. Yeah, I didn't play and that yet, one. Like, I can't remember. I'd never played it. We had the siblings. Yeah. So, yeah, those ones don't interest me, but, yeah, they, they caught my attention with uh, Origins and uh, and Odyssey, for sure. I would love for them to go to, like, Feudal Japan. Like, it's the one area that just screams Assassin's Creed. <laughs> oh, dude, I wouldn't be surprised be if that's next. <laughs> Well, what other ancient culture do they have? They have, like, Rome. That's that's about it. But no, ancient Japan would be sick. Actually. Like, being yeah. a, being ancient samurai, that'd be so fucking awesome. Yeah, running on the rooftops, swing, building a building. Yeah. And that's, that's a bit different because they basically stuck to European um, stories. You know, it's, mm-hmm. only, it's been European cities or, 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 I mean, I guess the Caribbean, but still, it's been mostly Western stuff. So, yeah, it'd be nice to go over to Japan and run around in buildings and stab people with uh, samurai sword. So, all right, so uh, moving on here. So right now, uh, I, w- I was playing Apex today, actually, and actually <clears throat> I'm trying to time this out right so that I just go upstairs after the podcast, say goodnight to the wife, and then come back down and play with Will. So if you're down, Will. Uh, we'll see. I got to get up for like 4 o'clock in the morning. So. Oh, okay, you're fucking out then. Well, I'll, pl- I'll play anyway. But um, anyway, so uh, I, I'm actually quite curious to know a little bit more about the QA side of things because um, so when you're when you're playing the game, do they get separate um, parts of the game? So like if you have you know if you say for example the entire alphabet is the game, do you hand off A to somebody and then B to somebody, or do they play each part on their own and then? go all the way to Z and then kind of re- report all the bugs? Um, you'll kind of get the entire... So we're using the alphabet. You'll One week we'll have just letter A. And the second week they've added B. So now we're actually looking at both A and B. And just as they keep stacking in new letters, we just have the whole... The alphabet just gets bigger and bigger for us. Most of the time you're focused on what's the newest letter being added. But then you have to always go back to make sure you can still get from A to L. Right. Just make sure it's still working. Do they ever throw a curveball and they you're doing A B C and then they throw in like W and you're like what the fuck like it's you know what I mean? Do they, do they yeah, just do it that, linear? Yeah, that order? can definitely happen. If you, okay. if you have a team working on the like a really cool new feature and they get it done early, they need to move on. They're like, we well we're done. We got to get this in because we we got to move on to the next section. So um, I've been on projects where it's happened. It's like oh, there's this whole section of the game that's done, but we can't technically reach it because there's no way to get to that part. But it's there, and we could use some debug tools to load it. It looks cool. Okay, everyone back to the start of the alphabet. Interesting. Um, so what's the what's kind of the job duties um, that a QA tester does besides obviously playing the game? Um, they're pretty involved. Uh, there's kind of two, I guess, entry-level roles. You have someone we call like a black box tester, and they just come in, sit at their desk, and run through um, like a series of checks for They'll have to do those checks by the end of the day. They'll have different checks every day. And then there's more of what they call like a white box tester who kind of just experiments with what's available. So they will they don't necessarily start at a checklist and go from top to bottom. They'll get the new letter for the day and they'll just go in and see what they can find. And they get that information talking with designers, with engineers, 
uh, going to a lot of like meetings to look and preview some of the stuff that they're working on. So as it's coming online, they just automatically start looking into new features, new combat mechanics. Uh, maybe cars got introduced. So let's see if we can drive a car and what can this car do now that's in the game? Can I drive through walls? Can I take it off a cliff? All right. Kind of stuff. Can, so is that your responsibility to make the black box checklist? Um, not as the manager. So the teams would be would have like a lead or a senior person, the senior QA, right? And they will be tasked with kind of creating all those test scripts. Got it. Okay. Uh, Interesting. So, uh, and then so, uh, what's the other job you mentioned? There was two. So, um, would be more like the white box tester. So instead of a checklist, you're just kind of Rolling. going in like free form. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And then they find a bug, and then they go, "Oh, what happened? How did I create the bug?" And they gotta do a little report or whatever. Yeah, they'll drop a little bug report. You'll try and obviously see if you can reproduce it easily. So if it's something that's 100%, every time you do these exact steps, game crashes. They'll fix that right away. If it's a like a one-off, which can happen a lot, especially when you're getting closer to alpha, where like the game is feature complete, and you'll just find like random things in the world. Um, I worked on a game, an open-world game, where it wasn't until well into the alpha that we found that there was one barricade that if you were to try and pick it up, the entire game would crash. Oh. <laughs> it's like, why this one barricade? Every other barricade in the map was fine, but just this one. So that, yeah, you'll run into that kind of stuff all the time. So then you have to like figure out, okay, that's 100%, but it's this one specific barricade. So try not to put a lot of missions around this area of the map until we fix this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I'd be uh, qualified to be a QA tester because I just get angry when uh, I either some sort of bug happens or the game crashes. So Yeah, I used yeah. to have a, a lead who, uh, when I was starting out, who described as like listening to your favorite song on repeat. And then the next day you come in and only listen to the last half on repeat. And then the third day you listen only the first half of that song on repeat. So if you can handle that, then you could probably start out in QA. Uh, I think that would age me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. I mean, I gotta, sorry, go ahead. How, like, what are the hours like for uh, the office? Um, They can kind of vary project to project. Where I'm at now, it's pretty nice. The, the culture is very important to them, and they're really into, like, a life-work balance. So um, we're generally about eight hours a day, five days a week, so about 40-hour weeks. Um Obviously, there can be crunch time. It's a word you hear a lot, where you're trying to hit a deadline and you're not you're far behind, so you just got to put in some extra time. Um, when I first started out, I was working on FIFA. My first job, first day, was 12 hours a day, seven days a week, just playing FIFA. That sounds kind of illegal. It That's actually kind of is illegal. <laughs> um, most people in the in the video game industry count as uh, like working in the tech industry so there's a lot of gray area around uh, overtime things like that some places you will get paid overtime uh, some places you get paid just a pretty nice salary and if you have to work a little extra time then it's just something you do but again where i work now we have like i said beer on tap kombucha cold brew they'll buy you dinner okay so they reward for good behavior then they'll just expect you to ba yeah, bend over yeah. backwards okay that's nice yeah so in our industry, we don't get rewarded for good behavior. You just put in another 16-hour day the next day. Yeah, you get rewarded with going to bed and getting up and coming back to work. Yeah, when I first started out um, at EA, it was pretty rough. Uh, I know it's gotten a lot better in the 10 years that I've been in the industry, but yeah, there'd be days you just, you know, you'd be trying to final 
I was working on NHL and we were working till like four in the morning and they came just like, well, PlayStation's still not ready to test. So you can go home, but be back here in two hours. <laughs> yeah. So most of us just found a couch, took a nap, got back up and yeah, he said print another 16 hours just to get the other platform <laughs> tested, signed off on and then call it a day. So um, what is the, I guess, standard entry-level rate for a QA tester? Uh, that's a good question. It's definitely going to vary. Um, some places you'll be hourly, depending if you're like a contractor. So that can range like, I want to say like $12 to $15 an hour. Um, but a lot of bigger studios, they'll put you on a salary and you're probably looking around forty to $42,000 a year. So if I use my handy dandy computer in my hand, uh, let's see here. What is that? All right, that's well, forty. Sorry, one sec. So it's like eight hundred bucks a week. So that's not bad. That's that's pretty. That's pretty good actually. That's like less than just less than PA rate. Will. Yeah, if you're really. um, if you have a salary position too, like they're, they'll be pretty good. You'll probably get like benefits. Um, Excuse me. Some some companies even have like a profit sharing. So if your game does really well, it hits a certain Metacritic, sells X amount of copies. Everyone in the studio gets a nice bonus because you hit your targets for your publisher. Nice. Okay. So uh, yeah, because uh, the reason I'm asking is because you're you're selling it really well, and uh, film sucks. <laughs> film sucks ass. So yeah, we're both trying to get out. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you might as well jump onto something where you know doing something we love. So, but. Yeah, and you said that uh, you have time to play lots of games still, so that's good, actually. I do, yeah, yeah. I I probably just come home most days and put in a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. My girlfriend was getting her master's degree, so she was always doing homework for like the last six years, so I just sat down beside her and just played video games all day. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to have a hard time with that because <laughs> I'll be at work doing work and, like, I mean, maybe playing games, whatever, but I'll come home and then I'll want to play, like, a full, complete, released game. And she'll be like, but you play video games all day at work, so now it's my turn to spend time with you. And I'll be like, fuck, I want to play games. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. So, um, yeah, she's not doing her master's, so she's she's usually home when I get home already, because I work, uh, obviously, stupid hours. Um, Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, anyways, Will, you got any more questions? Uh, in the next little while, what is uh, the big games that you're looking forward to? Not Maybe not a little while, but like this year, next year, whatever's been announced. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, Division 2 is coming out next week. I've been looking forward to that. But I think other than that, there's um, a couple of big Sony games. I'm just waiting for like dates on. There's the one from, uh, I want to say Sucker Punch, the... Uh, Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that looks really awesome. Um, we have a standing bet on when Death Stranding will get a, a release date. I say I, this year at E3. Yeah, I, I want them just to announce it's a PlayStation Five game and just I don't know, say it'll come out when it's ready. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'd also really like them to announce the release date for Cyberpunk 2077. I just bought a brand new PC specifically to play that game. Even though they haven't announced any kind of specs for anything, I just want to get my hands on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah Project Red uh, is going to do a great job on that game for sure. I love The Witcher. Yeah, yeah. Witcher Three was a uh, all the DLC for that game was really well done. So I'm really looking forward to what they do with Cyberpunk. Definitely. 
So uh, I think other than those, though, I have a Switch as well, so I'm looking forward for them to announce the new Animal Crossing. Probably check out uh, the new Fire Emblem as well. Luigi's Mansion 3. Stoked. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, this Pokemon. is... Yeah, <laughs> Pokemon. Yeah, Pokemon Sword and Shield. And yeah, that's going to be good. So uh, this is just a shot in the dark, um, but do you have a dev kit... For well, you oh wait, you work at Kabams, which is mobile. So never mind, you don't. I was gonna ask if you have a dev kit for the Scarlet, if you could say if it was cool or not. No, I haven't seen it. No, um, most uh, I guess companies that are working on games will probably have seen it by now. But uh, I know some people that work at EA, and they well, they haven't. I don't. Know, they might be working on it because usually if it's they've had it for a couple months, like oh yeah, we've I've seen what it looks like, but no one I know is even talking about it. So I assume they're just getting them if they are. Yeah. What are your um, thoughts? Are we going to get new consoles this year? Uh, I think they announced something. I think you know, both consoles have been out for about five, six years, which is pretty average. Lifespan. Yeah. I'd like them to see to go almost fully digital. Oh, really? Yeah. I buy all my games digitally, so I, I might just have a preference. But Yeah, me and Will like, to, like the hard copies uh, for two reasons. One, it's nice to hold the physical game in your hand. And two, when you hate it, uh, you can take it back. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you can only ever return one game on the PSN, and I've, I've done that already, so... Yeah, kinda, and I'm then uh, collector's editions for me. Yeah. I would like to see Sony, I think, if they really wanted to keep their advantage, if they... With the PlayStation 5, if with your kind of PlayStation Plus membership, they also gave you access to the PlayStation Now service. So all your games could technically be backwards compatible. You just stream them online. Yeah. Yeah, that would work. I just... Well, how much is I? I know I had it before, but the the streaming service isn't it still like uh, fourteen or fifteen dollars a month? Yeah, it's not too bad. It, I, that's why I feel it's cheap enough. They could just they could just slide it in there. It would definitely be a good incentive for early adapters to the next console. Yeah, because I know the Nintendo. I don't have their live service, but I always see the games are adding. It's it's slowly start to build up. Yeah, they don't have a ton of uh, of a game catalog in terms of retro stuff. But, uh, I mean, I, I was playing the original Mario Bros. and sucking ass at it. Um, we, uh, yeah, it was the last cast, I think, it was, or the cast before, we were talking about classic games that... Or no, yeah, it was me and Bradley, two podcasts ago. Yeah, we were talking about games we played when we were kids, like NES, SNES, and 64 games that we just, like, cruised through, like, no problem. And then now we, pl- now we play them after playing the new 3D <laughs> A++ graphics um, era, and we just can't even managed to get through the like the first couple levels without getting frustrated oh yeah i remember very much beating every mega man growing up and i go and try and play mega man 2 now and it's it's a frustrating experience yeah so what about mobile games do you play a lot of those or no um i do yeah because i work in a mobile company it's always good to see what other people are doing um i try to play mostly um betas stuff that's just kind of soft launch so it's only available in a couple countries because those are usually you know, they're going to have, like, the newest kind of mechanics or kind of right. the newest kind of trends in mobile games. Okay. Nice. What about... Uh, what's your what's your go-to? Um, I just finished playing Donut Country. It's not a free game. You have to purchase it, but it's pretty cool. You just control a hole and things fall into it. But it's got a really, really good soundtrack. Nice. Um, just a nice, just a nice, easy, casual game to sit back and just kind of turn off your brain awesome mine i think uh, the 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 toilet passer is what i call it uh is clash clans and uh, yeah yeah, it's yeah. classic but uh and pokemon uh, well will and i play pokemon go still 
And I got back into Balloon Tower Defense 6. That's what I've been playing. So, it's a good time. Fuck, I've been playing yeah. a lot of puzzles. Yeah. Yeah, Brick Breaker's another one. That's a puzzle one. Uh, Balloon Tower Defense 6 is super fucking frustrating, though. Because you'll... It's... You, you can lose it all in one round. Like, even if you have everything under control... Like, if you're on, on round, like, 80... And you have absolutely everything under control in round 80... Round 81 will just fucking destroy you. And you're like, what the, What just happened? Like, you don't even have enough time to kind of fix it. So, yeah, it, that's frustrating. But it's it's still it's still a fun time killer. Yeah. All right, guys. So uh, I think that's it for today. And so thanks a lot, Curtis, for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And hey, everybody, uh, you were probably wondering why this episode was released on Tuesday instead of Monday. That's because uh, all podcasts will be uploaded to Patreon for our Patreon supporters to listen to uh, first. And uh, then everything will be released on Tuesday after that. So if you want uh, access to our episodes one day early, check out our Patreon. And we also have a Discord that's been super chatty with our uh, new team members. And we want you guys to jump on there. You can ask questions for future podcasts or basically talk about games. It's going to be a good old time. So thanks a lot, uh, guys, for listening today. Jump on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and all those fun things to let us know what you thought of the show and to maybe suggest a topic for future shows. Thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you all on the next one. Bye-bye. Will. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.